Hello and welcome to The Importance of Staying Earnest, where we discuss the elements of taking on a career in the arts as a young person in the modern day. So, sit down, stand up, grab a tea or something stronger, and come with us on our journey to find some direction in our lives. My name is Harry, and with me is my fellow co-host and good friend, Emily. Hello! In today's episode, we are talking about starting your own company, producing, being flexible with the times, and our radio play fault lines. So with us today is the Proxemics producer and my friend, Bria Cotton. Hi, Bria. Hello. How are we both? I'm good, thank you. How are you doing? Yeah, man. Doing all right. Doing all right. Happy to be here. Good. Um, Do you want to just say a little bit about who you are, what you do, both in terms of Proxemics and in in general life? (laughs) And in general, yeah. Um, so first and foremost, as you mentioned, um, I'm a producer with you, Emily, uh, with Proxemics. Um, been with you for the last like few months now, which has been really exciting. But outside of that realm, I'm just working a general uh, wor- worker's life in insurance <laughs> as a risk analysis, uh, <laughs> reading risk analysis reports and whatnot. And and outside of the workspace, because you know work can't be our entire lives. I'm just your standard reading fantasy nerd kind of (laughs) (laughs) not the first not the first not the last (laughs) yeah no you and harry will have a lot to talk about there i'm sure so bria we went to university together which was where we met yeah um and i was on a drama and english course but you were on a history course Mm-hmm. Um, so I was wondering if you'd be up for talking a little bit about how you got into the theatre stuff and like how we met and how all this came about really. All this came about indeed. Yeah, um, so uh, I did a politics and history degree at university and we were in the same year together which I think potentially made things a bit easier. Um, yeah. And I only came into it around about second year when the Shakespeare Society at our uni put on The Tempest. And Tempest was one of my favourite plays. And I thought I'd give it a go and audition for it. I didn't get in, but I got a call back. And that was enough of a push for me to like think, oh, I can probably you know take a swing at this for a couple more tries. Yeah, then got more involved on that end of it. I had a couple of friends who were already in Drama Sock and Musical Theatre Society. So I had like a, like a tangent relationship with the societies. But it didn't come to pass until um, I was fortunate enough to be cast in um, Henriette, the Shakespeare Society's production they're taking up to Edinburgh Fringe. And yeah, that's how I met you. That's how I met a bunch of other people that I'm still really lucky to consider my friends and put me on this pathway, essentially. And yeah, that was essentially six very intense weeks of nothing but rehearsing, Oftentimes, I think about drinking and also just like really taking full advantage of Edinburgh Fringe Fest and all the madness and yeah. contained therein. I feel like it was quite a good experience for us because a lot of sort of university and school productions, the structure mm. is like a really long rehearsal process because you're just rehearsing like at the weekends, the odd evening kind of thing. Whereas yeah. because we were doing it in the the summer break and in the run up to then go straight from rehearsals onto edinburgh it was a sort of proper like i think we did have about three weeks rehearsal solid uh, yeah and then straight up to edinburgh um so it was kind of done in a sort of more professional format which was i think a really good experience oh 100 like very intense process to explain the project a bit more just albeit briefly it was a three-part play that we were doing each an hour long slot everyone had different characters different roles that were vastly different from each other across the three different plays because it, we, we, we were doing Richard II, Henry the Fourth, Part One, Henry the Fifth. So you had everybody was going into essentially putting on different hats and trying to navigate that in such a way that one play wasn't left out the side or one play mm-hmm. wasn't stronger than the others. It was a really interesting experiment in my mind in seeing just how to balance these different priorities in, sh- in such a way that okay, this person is kind of like the main character in this play, but they're not in the other play. How do we make sure we're not wasting their time? It was quite a nice way to make it quite a sort of level playing field, actually, wasn't it? Because it wasn't like, okay, here are the leads over here and then here's the ensemble because you might be ensemble in one Mm. play and then be a lead in another. And it it was quite a nice way to sort of make it really balanced. Has it influenced how you attack projects going forward, having had that kind of maybe either aiming not to hit that because you've been through it or aiming or being more flexible because you've been through something like that? let's see because i this is the first project where i've actually been at the creative side of it i've only really really been like in the acting side of things up until this point so it's definitely more in the sense of 
okay, well, how can I, how can me, the actor, make this an easier experience for the director and creative team so it's mm. not, like, stress-inducing? I'm not sure how you found it, Tandy, because after this, you went on to do a lot more directing on your side. Um, I think, to be honest, I think the main things I liked about that experience was the, is this the right word, egalitarian? Um mm sort of atmosphere that it created of that everyone was on a very equal sort of playing field everyone had an equal role to play to sort of pull this out the bag um that is the right word thank you i thought it was but you know when you have a moment of doubt it was a big word i struggle um <laughs> and i i really like that in terms of directing i you mm. know you often hear the sort of phrase of like oh, there's no small parts only small actors which i think is a bit too harsh but I think whenever you're creating something, every every single person who is there has a vital role to play. Um, and if they don't, then why why are they there in the first place? Even if it is just to you know make suggestions about something or to provide a second opinion. Yeah. Um, and so yeah, and I I think I really do take that into my directing. I I don't like to think of my directing as just me going okay this is exactly how I want it done you do this you do this you do this you do this of course there are elements of that and I I try and shape it around how I see it but in my mind if I'm going in and just literally saying okay this is exactly how you're saying this line and you're going to walk from here to there pick this up then walk over here and say Mm. this line exactly in this way well I might as well just do a one one man show because (laughs) why why have I got all these other creative brilliant people in the room um, and I, I like that flexibility. I like that sense of play and bouncing ideas off one another and then sort of using my role as a director to basically funnel all of those ideas into one overall cohesive sort of vision, for want of a better word. Mm. Um, and yeah, for, for me, that's how, how I like to work and operate. And I guess experiences like that have sort of fed into into that idea. So what... What made you jump to producing then, Bria? If you said that if, if Fault Lines is your first kind of full creative um, role, what made you do go, you know what, I'm going to try producing as a... Because I imagine you've approached it in a manner that's not just, oh, I'm just doing this job and produces the name on it. Of, of it. You've, you've come at it from the, this is my role and how I'm going to mm. attack it. What made, you, what made you think, yep, this is, this is a direction I'd like to go as opposed to co-direction or um, a more niche... Uh, creative role Ooh, yeah okay um so I've always thought of myself less as the creative type and more as organizational type um so in terms of producing or like organizing and trying to be more on like the other side of things um before lockdown hit and during like, the second semester of uni I was a producer for like the medics review which is kind of like, like a comedy sketch go that um, that medics do which I was and which I was producing, <laughs> I, which is a whole side story that we shan't get into. But <laughs> uh, and that essentially involved like either writing sketches or like helping people create sketches, uh, collating it all together into one performance, organizing it, organizing rehearsal time, spaces, props, what have you. Basically, being like the driving force behind this thing, in that you have this entire group of people who are who all make want, want to make each other laugh, who are all good mates, and you want to try and push them into a way that's like, okay, but let's create something good here. So that was a really interesting challenge until like COVID made sure <laughs> did us did in with that one. But in coming into Fault Lines, um, I was really excited to be offered this opportunity by Tandy in that I wanted to see, well, what else can be offered. In, in the in the creative in the creative team space as a producer besides just ah oh, yeah I just punched the numbers or like it sent emails out to people like how do you get involved creatively in that sense because I feel like producers are often relegated to just being like the ad, like the admin desk jockeys rather than actual creative input from my perspective I remember because I'd I'd known since I left uni that I wanted to start my own company and I also knew that it was the sort of venture that while I was prepared to do it on my own, I would prefer to do it with people. You know, one of the reasons I work mm. in theatre is because I like working as part of a team and, and with people. Mm. Um, and from working with you before, Bria, and uh, like knowing you as a friend, like, I just think you're brilliant. Um, oh. <laughs> and I remember just one day thinking, like, who would I really like to do all of this with? And I was just like, Bria would be perfect. Um 
like not only are you like creative and conscientious with both your approach to other people and to your work but like you're also like you're committed and you're a hard mm. worker I also knew that you were the sort of person who mm. if you're unsure of something you would do the research and find out what needed to happen and absolutely yeah. do it um and like I also didn't necessarily say oh Bria come and produce fault lines it was a do you want to be the producer for proxemics yeah. which because it's a new company is like that's got a whole sort of realm of creativity around it in itself because it's sort of well me and you are shaping mm. not just this one project but a whole a whole company yeah like there's a lot of flex- flexibility awarded in that like I can't I wouldn't have imagined I think it was bleed August you approached me with people with joining as producer that I thought oh yeah we're gonna and then we're gonna do a radio play and a stage play I thought it was just it was more just like let's try and figure this out together what we want yeah. this to be and how we're going to navigate like this very very uncertain timeline that we're in so that's what creative that's what i've really enjoyed being a producer is having that that creative freedom to take it to where i want to go like what do i want to highlight what do i want to bring into the world essentially um and yeah and being able to work on fault lines and, and the future projects we have lining up it's a very privileged position position to, fi- to find myself in that i'm very grateful for we sort of mentioned that when we started this we didn't know we were doing a radio play and then a play and mm. it was also in covid times and we really didn't yeah. know what was going on um i wonder if you'd be happy to chat a little bit about sort of the process we went through of finding that initial starting material for us yes. to go off that that became fault lines and the other things we've got lined up yes of course so when let's see so it's around august that this entire that that we kind of came together in this holy union of ours um <laughs> <laughs> and and I believe we both have decided that we're going to have the dual track approach and that we're going to send out a call out to everywhere that we know in terms of like groups, onla- online spaces, that kind of thing for a script call out and that people mm. from, from, from whatever, whatever like area, from whatever, from whatever place they are, it doesn't matter if they're like a season script writer or this is their first play, they can just send it in to us. We'll read it through and we'll, de- we'll decide whether or not we will put that on. Cause it was originally going to be like just straight uh, in-person theater production. Cause again, didn't know where we were going to be. So we're trying to be as flexible as possible in that sense. The naivety we had summer 2020. <laughs> oh man. Uh, times have changed. Uh, Tell me about it. Um, so as as it kind of and we get we had I remember how big of big of a gap we left between that. I think we had like probably like a month and a half or something like that for people. Yeah, to... I think we left it quite long because I think I remember we discussed sort of we didn't want it to be a case of well we only want this open to people that have got a finalized yeah. product ready to submit at the time we put the call out. Um, so it sort of we wanted to give yeah I think it was sort of just over a month, mm. maybe about five weeks or so that we had the call out for. Yeah, because that was enough time for like people to be like, oh yeah, that's this is the push I need to like actually write something or like oh I had this half baked idea I can mm. this, this is time for me to flesh it out and so on, and yeah so re- and I gotta say reading through the scripts even though some of them weren't what we were looking for or weren't fully fleshed out ideas it was still very exciting to read what ideas people want to see on screen or not on screen on stage and see what they want to see like put out into the world like what themes kind of kept on cropping up like whether mm. it became like issues related to polit- pl- like political issues relationships so there were even some scripts pertaining to like the lockdown and how like these characters they created dealt with that um so as it kind of came down to it there was this fear that we had of oh, like god almighty what if we just don't like the scripts that were sent in what if we're put we found ourselves up in that position because the last thing we wanted to do was to attach ourselves to a project that we had no love for so we start yeah. i remember us looking into different scripts that wouldn't be too expensive to put on because new company no money <laughs> um mm-hmm. so, remember, so us looking so i think us being excited potentially excited by projects such as like um, oscar wilde plays like more 19th century early 20th century plays that were out of copyright and could be put on without us having to like hand hand over our our souls for it and also other plays as well that we kind of come across that would have been inexpensive to do but with not like a stupidly big cast because that I think I think I remember us talking about this like even though our Henriette experience was great it was a cast of 20 of us uh, yeah from memory 
And we both thought, thought to ourselves, that's an insane number to try and wrangle as a new company. So we're just going to try and keep the cap of like five five cast members, I believe, something like that. Yeah, and then ironically, Fault Lines that we went for has a far larger cast than that. Yeah, <laughs> and then, yeah. <laughs> God, yeah, you're right. And then, yeah, then God. And then thankfully, um, the two, two scripts that we went down for, uh, Fault Lines and Only they were yet written by Magnum Phoenix for Fault Lines and, uh, and Jerusha for um aren't really there yet these are both scripts that both had elements that we really enjoyed like fault lines that we chose originally we kind of thought yeah i guess we could do this as a theater play or maybe we can toss up one to the other and it was you tandy that came up with the idea of why not do both do fault lines as a radio play because we have no idea when we're going to be allowed back into theaters again and waiting too long we'll probably just fizzle out we won't have the drive to do this anymore we put on our really there yet in potentially like late summer early autumn 2021 when hopefully theaters are back open again and i mm. think that's when i it kind of sunk in i was going to enjoy working this project with you because you were able to think on your feet in that manner and say well if we can't put this on on stage why not do it as a radio play because you got the idea from that um, due to how much the conversations happened via ra- via radio calls and phoning into each other, and I thought, huh, this could actually mm. work in our favor. I remember I also got that because um, so I read quite a few scripts while I was at uni because I was in the drama society committee, and we yes, would yes. have like seasons of plays, and people would submit scripts to us um, for us to read through and, and choose um, a season basically to put on so I've read quite a lot of scripts in terms of looking at it analytically for putting putting it on um and I remember ages and ages ago I can't even remember what the script was now but we read this play and a lot of us had sort of we were sat around discussing it and we were kind of going like we we really enjoyed it but we can't put our finger on it as to why like I really enjoyed reading the story but why is it I don't feel excited about putting it on as a play and someone else um in the team just chimed in saying it's because it's a radio play there's nothing in here that that warrants necessarily staging um like there's great words great story but that there's nothing in here that is necessarily sort of visual mm. um and while I wouldn't go as far as to say that was the case for Fault Lines, like I, th- I think it would, I'd be really interested to see if um, oh, Magnum 100%. does put it on um, for, for stage one day. I'd love to see it. But um, it's sort of, since then, whenever I've sort of been reading through scripts, I've always sort of had in the back of my mind, is this a stage play or is this a radio play or, or something else entirely? Mm. And so, yeah, I... So thank you to, um, I think it was Chloe who said that, so thanks, Chloe. <laughs> it seems to me that there's a number of, so the difference that comes between is, is, in, is in the problems to solve, right? Starting a new company, as far as I can tell from the outside, is that it's basically, hey, I'm going to run headfirst into about a thousand problems, half of which <laughs> I'm barely qualified to solve, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to attempt to solve them anyway. So I was... I think because this is the I've I've never started a company, but I've had ideas for numerous projects that get bogged down by the kind of, you know, approaching people, because as you said, Emily, there's you can't it's very hard to make theater to make anything really without kind of collaborative help. And so but it's also not particularly easy to try and put things on as a duo. Right. So. As two people who, I'm have, have have you ever started a business before this one? No, 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 no. What <laughs> what was that? What was that process like? What was what did that look like in terms of did did you find it being like oh wow I thought this was going to be more of a problem than it is or how many times have you gone? This was a mistake. <laughs> like I think uh, I don't know about you, Tan. But I think the only moment of, moment of minor crisis I had was when we had anything in that sparks that feeling of yeah, this is what I want to do. I definitely remember thinking we had anything in that sparks that feeling of yeah, this is what I want to do. I definitely remember thinking oh, we're really excited to put on plays sent in to us. We're really excited to see what we're looking for, and we hope to like bring like shine a spotlight on on you know up and coming writers, and then to turn around to produce a play that we chose. 
I think in terms of the business side, Harry, to, in more response to your question, there was there's always in the back of my head of, oh, like, we're trying to make money off this, in a sense, mm. in a way that's going to keep this thing sustaining. Because we don't, because unlike, because I'm sure Tandy can probably speak, speak to this, I can imagine as a director for, and working in, like, student pr- projects, money was a major issue because you had to pay, like, people for props, you had to pay people for, like, stage and set design. Whereas now it's all, like, hell we gotta pay these people who have so kindly like like signed up for this and you hope that at the end of the day the people buy this buy into this product and they enjoy it and they tell their friends and whatnot and you properly reward people for their labor because i if this isn't obvious already i'm very much on like the left wing side of things and i'm very conscious of the fact of the issue of like free labor in the creative art industry and unbeat and underpaid is something that it kind of thrives off and not wanting mm-hmm. to be part of that problem and it's tr- funny it's funny yeah. how all of a sudden you end up being like oh i don't want to why should i have to pay the man for this to all of a sudden <laughs> being like wow i really have to pay the people who i want to pay now yeah this is a weird it's kind of a weird conglomeration of you don't want to be in a position where you're you know acting as if you're elite and all of a sudden you've got all the money to do what you want and that's fine but similarly, you do also want to, you know, you want that that trickle down of like, we've created something with a number of people who are deserving of reward for that. And being so early in, in, the, in the situation, you can't pay out where you want to pay. Mm. Yeah. And actually, I, so I, I completely agree with everything you said there, Bri. I think for me, the same real panic moment was, um, I think I've had a couple more, along the way because i i set up proxemics initially sort of just on my own during the yeah. um during the lockdown and i used it as a vessel to just do a couple of projects that i've been working on um like really small little video type things mm. but then i brought bria on when i knew that okay no i i actually want to do this and i want to make this into a business and i and i want to cr- create some stuff that's you know more than just a couple of you know small videos um and yeah, that that moment when we were near the end of the script call out and we just hadn't found something that we were excited about. Like there was some really good stuff in there, but like I mean Bria mentioned there was one that was a set sort of like during lockdown. We kinda of decided that we we didn't really want to go along that track mm. at least just now and you know. Um and we, we really wanted to do some new writing. We're like that we're a new company, we wanna do mm. new exciting things. Like there's plenty of merit to putting on um, like an Oscar Wilde play or whatever but that that wasn't what we set out to do and that, that wasn't what we wanted to do and you know we would have done it if it was in aid of sort of showing oh look we, we can pull this out the bag and we can make something that's good to hopefully get enough trust and uh, build up the brand a bit more in order to perhaps get those scripts in for next time yeah but um yeah that was that was a real sticking point um and then in terms of the sort of financial side in a way doing fault lines as a radio play has actually been a bit of a lifesaver because we've well out of sort of the things we were forced to do such as recording you know remotely separately while and we we managed to you know both me and Bria made sure that we got microphones to everyone a lot of people that we had on already had decent setups but we made sure for those who didn't that we got we got microphones and such to them um and so you know yes that it's not recorded in a studio so there might be marginal differences in terms of acoustic and such in the recordings um which you know we've worked hard to to keep to a minimum Mm -hmm. um it's meant that we've not had to pay for space we've not had to pay for rehearsal space we've not had to pay for a venue um and we've essentially cut a lot of costs um which is allowed us to to do something with a larger cast because i think both of us knew from the off we were absolutely not going to say to people we expect you to do this for free even if it It is a a minimal fee in the first instance Hmm. um and that we're we're also not doing something that we're just going okay so we're going to make a massive profit out of it ourselves um Mm -mm. you know the only thing that we're trying to do at the moment is to pay people for for the work that they've done and to to get enough money in in order to support the next thing that we do which i mean we'll all have to apply for funding and search for anyway um so yeah yeah fault lines was was a bit of a lifesaver in that sense 
What's it been like trying to convert to a radio play? Like, I know we've actually had numerous discussions, you know, but the idea of both of you come from a theater perspective, right? Mm. Mm. So translating, especially directorially, I don't, again, I don't really know much about producing. It's kind of one of those weird areas where I'm like, (laughs) what do they do? Um, (laughs) But um, I know they do things. That's not a, that's not disparaging (laughs) producers. I know they do things. I just don't know what they do. Um, No, of course. Did you throw things out the window? Did you try things that work in theater that you found didn't work in, you know, in a radio play? Yeah. So I'm thinking back to when we were talking about how the producer uh, as my role will fit into this as a radio play. And yeah. I remember, Tandy, you were, you were saying how um, you didn't want this to be a thing. Where the producer only shows up for like two rehearsals and then leaves and then like no one, no one has any, any idea who they, who they are. So I think my my role uh, during the radio play recording sessions was more just tr- troubleshooting more than anything else. Like I occasionally offered uh, my own creative input of like, oh maybe we would tweak that or offer support um, for you for you Tandy when you had when you had to like like cover cover a couple of things. Uh, I remember doing like tech support a couple of times. Yeah, with, that was invaluable. Different... I must admit. And I think, I don't know, I think I found myself more enjoying, like, the organizational aspects of it. So trying to balance social media, trying to think about, like, the future of the project. Like, trying to think three weeks ahead of all, like, okay, well, if this doesn't work out to plan, how are we going to, like, account for this issue? And how do we make sure that the cast enjoys themselves as well and making sure that they are they feel completely, like, comfortable with us? Mm. Like, that's how I felt my role was would be it was like in the radio play which is potentially similar to how it works in a more theater sense but maybe I, less of the tech <laughs> tech maybe, support maybe maybe, maybe less, less less of the tech less of the techie side no we no we, we, we outsourced that to, to elsewhere but yeah no i think i enjoyed how involved i was in this project i've i've not i've known some cases where like the director and the assistant director gets all of like the you know like the like the uh, attention and whatnot. They're more well known. Their names seem to be more splashed across like the pamphlets, and the producer's name seems to be relegated to like third place. So that's the impression I uh, that I get anyway. So it's 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 nice to be involved in the project in such a way it feels like a two header rather than like Teddy and like oh, I guess Bria was there as well. Because I I haven't listened to a lot of radio plays and mm. it's not the most common done thing amongst us youthful folk so <laughs> did you have to like take the turn and go i'm gonna to listen to like a hundred radio plays to get some idea of what we're doing have mm. i put you on the spot no <laughs> no um to be quite honest not really i've listened to a couple to a couple of like snippets of radio plays like there's been like like audio like adaptions of them so for example uh, neil gaiman's and terry pratchett's good omens was adapted to a radio play yeah. b- by uh, the bbc and that's an interesting project because, like, it's fantasy. It has angels, demons, the apocalypse. Like, how do you make that a realistic soundscape rather than just, like, a slightly more fancy audiobook? But, no, I actually found more inspiration from podcasts that, that I listened to. Um, so what? So a couple of podcasts that I listened to, um, Time to Say Goodbye, um, The Adventure Zone, Critical Role, and a couple of others as well. Quite a few of them involve them recording remotely and or trying to develop a storyline that is a bit that's a bit improvised no one's no one really, really sure how it goes there's a lot of like dialogue that happens outside of like the recording space speak to be all like okay what do, we, what do we want from this session like how do we make it as fulfilling to us as possible so reading like interviews on how they created their podcasts and how they have yeah. like dealt with recording issues so like time to say goodbye. I'm glad to have, I'm yeah. glad to have found a fellow Critical Role fan. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I just, I, yeah, I just got into it because, like, during this time as well, I've been thankful to be to be, to now like join my first like D and D group and like the and my and the DM who is very very good, um, takes a lot of inf- inspiration from Matt Mercer's side of things. So, yeah. So oh yeah, I think we all do. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Who doesn't? But I, but I, yeah. I, me, I don't play D and D. You're missing out. To yeah. be fair, I think I'd love it. For a long time, I kind you of thought I would, I would really adore enjoy D&D. it. Uh, just you would adore not. it. You'd be good at it as well. It's Yeah, I, th- I think you'd, you'd have a blast with it. Yeah, the, the only other thing I really wondered if you'd be up for chatting about, Bria, is um, mm. so obviously you've done a degree and a master's. Yeah. Um, ah. And I was just wondering if you 
a would like to just say a little bit about what what you did for that but um also obviously it's very different to doing theater and and the others like passions that you have and like the creative things you love doing like Mm -hmm. D &D, I suppose Um, (laughs) and I was just wondering if the two ever inform one another oh god yes 100% so um, so as I mentioned earlier, I did my degree, in, my bachelor's degree um, in politics and modern history, and I did my master's in international relations. And one of the more interesting aspects of that degree that I had like the privilege to study under is that there's a growing interest in cultural history and cultural artifacts and how they play into history, politics, how they constitute each other in international relations. A large part of that is you know like obviously films and television how they play into each other how they constitute and make sense of historical past presents and futures so like the big one is like vietnam war films from from the from the Mm. u.s during like like from the 70s to the 90s and how they essentially turned the narrative around from one being of loss and demasculization to one of like triumph one of like you know imperialist expansion how the focus turned away from the devastation wrought on the Vietnamese and Cambodian Laos people to one of like the destruction wrought on American veterans by their own government. Um, and looking into that like during second year was very interesting in terms of like looking at how films can constitute history in their own ways. But in terms of theater, that in of itself, I'd say is just becoming into its own as its own field in historical and politics uh, studies. So one thing that 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 bring that comes to mind is in second year we took a unit called the cultural history of modern war, wherein during that during that semester we looked in at various means of like how is war expressed in these mediums so like music, television, uh, like got uh, like Marvel comic books during the fifties and sixties and how they constituted um, their own understandings of history like you know, like Captain America punching Hitler in its first edition cover and whatnot, and. I remember one in terms of theater, how German prisoners of wars in World in World War One, I, I believe, in the Allied camps, a popular pastime was drag was essentially drag performances. <laughs> so so within that, so with, within like these dire conditions, you have this this growing theater space of how they try to entertain themselves, and there's also like stories of how British soldiers like put on pantos during like during during their during their own like like in the trenches during this period as well. And that was always very interesting to me because how do you use theater in its own right, in its own very visceral, very often intense medium to regale these stories in such a way that they feel timeless, but not, they, they feel timeless, but also very rooted in the historical period they're alluding to. So a more concrete example is, um, so for my master's, I took a course called Critical Military Studies. And that's a fascinating course because it looks into the role of the military in everyday life. So from how egg cartons were were, were advertising uh, like historic military propaganda posters to try and like encourage people to donate to various charities that support the veterans to looking at how like why is it that at various Super Bowl games in the States you have like B2 bombers fly over the stadium as a means of incur- as a means of like getting the fans, you know, like up and ready for the big game. And one of that project, one of the projects we had to do for that was choose a, choose an artifact or something that involved the military. So that could be a museum piece, that could be a you know, piece of military technology, like or like or, or even something as even something as simple as like a pair of like camouflage trousers that you can they can buy at H and M, and then write and write like a thousand words as to why that piece is important for studying military history, and I chose uh, Shakespeare's Henry the Fifth and which was um. yeah so and that was and that was a lot of fun the to do yes and that was a, that was a joy to do because you because looking at how henry v has become this has shifted and shape-shifted in different ways in history so for example how it was a very pop how it was a very popular film adaption during world war ii God, who's directed by? I want to say Orson Welles, but that's probably someone entirely different, or some other, or no, Laurence Olivier's Henry V film right, adaptation, yeah. where the opening section openly like stated like this is that de- this is dedicated to um, air brigades and foot soldiers who who are about to engage on the invasion of 
eradicated invasion of Normandy, you then immediately brought it forward to what was then the present into making it, this is an uplifting war movie about a, bun a bunch of soldiers trying to commit the impossible. Like, you can't, like, when you think of Henry V, you think of the very speeches he he writes about and, t and talks about to his soldiers before they go out and engage in their, in their wars with France, how they're very rousing, very inspirational speeches. But you then contrast that to, the, I believe, the Royal Shakespeare Company's production in 2003, which, when, which is when Britain entered the Iraq War with the United States. And what they did with that one was that they, they set, they, where they kind of based Henry V, and they, why they went toward France, all based around the dodgy dossier. So, trying to be all like, well, they entered this war for completely the wrong reasons. They were lied to by the government. Henry V's um, various, like, Harfleur and other speeches as well were, would normally in other mediums to be met with, like, rigor and cheering and shouting and, mm. like, triumphant music. They are instead met with, like, the various, like, company men just going, God, no, not this again. Like, why, like, why are we here? Very dismissive. That's very and, cool. Yeah, and uh, absolutely incredible because it's also well known and like and being deployed in Band of Brothers, HBO's mm. adaption oh, yeah. of St Stephen Ambrose's book that came out directed by Tom Hanks, and yeah, that's what I that's where I found that mostly converged, and just yeah. thinking of, and mostly just thinking about what's the point of theater during and relating to these issues well, I think there's, doing, a, there's a question yeah. of art in there as well I think what was the most 100%. recent thing that was like uh, pointless jobs do you remember that pointless jobs oh, thing that was going around yeah I remember that like yeah. artists was like the top of the pointless jobs thing and I think it's what you've just basically described there is exactly the rebuttal to that yeah. which is like you know it's without commentary without you know everything everything you've just mentioned there is everything from being in a prisoner of war camp the trenches of war rousing for war and uh in contrast to war mm. in contrast to is that the right phrase you know yeah, what or, I mean? or like in an objection to and it's like remove that like you kind of what what do you lose from removing that it's like wow we'd live in a hell hole of a world if we had exactly. to remove that like yeah. i see art and theater and all those and all those various like incarnations as a way of making mm. sense of the world to ourselves and Absolutely. which is and which is what it's, con it's conversations that are difficult to have exactly well i mean and that's language, how theater right? started you well you yeah. know as from kind of. as far as our records go like if you go back to ancient greece and like the festival mm -hmm. dionysus and all that sort of stuff mm. and it's it's a festival to inform people particularly when people were illiterate that that's how you can convey messages and try and explain how things happened and explain um, a morality that that wanted to be expressed by governments and, and people in positions of power. Oh, hundred percent. You know, like conglomerates and businesses as like product pushers. Yeah. So yeah, it's yeah, it's a very rewarding experience when you go into it. But also to circle back to your point, Harry, about pointless jobs. Like one of the most interesting things as a hist as someone who majored in history is to hear how is to see and hear how many people thought it's a pointless degree. Um. Mm. And because, <laughs> like, to, like, God, to, to bring up the hellscape that is UOM love, which is, like, our university's meme chat, I swear to God, <laughs> the two most reviled degrees on that, on that hellscape from, you know, like, STEM of business people were, like, history and drama degrees, because they just couldn't wrap their heads around the idea of doing a degree that doesn't immediately lend itself to profit. Like, obviously, yeah. you, drama, you can drama, you can turn it into, like, oh, I'm going to start my own theater company, or I'm going to produce something. Right, and the but, funny thing is, you turn to them and say, "Okay, don't watch a movie ever again." Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, yeah, and like with history degrees and seeing and seeing just how like no one seems to know about like imperial history in that sense. No one seems to care about it, like uh, in the more mainstream mainstream sense. And so, bringing history and art together is a very very important con conjunction because it brings I history agree. and art to the people so like you just need to yeah. look at the, how popular like like horrible histories is for like, t for, yeah. like tv mm. how popular six the musical is as well and like showing this showing tudor history in a different light and and renewing that interest it's a way yeah, to right. to make history mm. not feel so removed i exactly think. um you know if you can physically physically see these sort of figures in front of you of course you're aware that it's it's an actor in a in a costume and everything but if you're seeing this sort of flesh and blood in front of you 
telling you these things that happen and these stories and such it feels far more real than for a lot of people than than just reading in a history book and less alienating exactly yeah like history doesn't doesn't solely exist in in the past like or like in a stagnant like book that you read history exists Mm. in the people that make up for it and live with it and theater is 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 one of the best place one of the best spaces to show that like for example, like various museums are now very intrigued to bring performance art into their own spaces to try and say, well, how do we how do we use this space that we have rather than just showing, oh, these are just some nice, very nice objects we have from a hundred years ago to like, well, these aren't just objects that are very nice and pretty. They were used and held by people. They were admired mm-hmm. by the people of the past. So how do we use? It's the human side yeah. of it. Exactly. Yeah. And being just... able to, and I think being able to put yourself in that space, right? The phenomenology of wow, like what we're experiencing here right looking through my own eyes and doing all this kind of stuff that was that was done a hundred years ago right henry the eighth was a bloke who existed he moved he existed in and of himself and it's kind of like that gap is really hard to bridge really hard and i think i couldn't agree with you more in the art and theater and performance all that kind of stuff is what's is at least a stepping stone on bridging that gap until I don't know time machines. I guess. I guess, yeah, <laughs> yeah, because yeah, because there's go so many STEM guys. That's where you can come in. Hey. Yeah, come on, STEM, step it up. Get us a time machine. <laughs> what are your degrees? Actually, good jobs. We do it on stage, but with flashing lights and fun songs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so oh, that's man. that's definitely my my joint description of how they can use how you can use theater to both protest yeah. and support these various these various histories that we find ourselves swayed by mm. and trying to yeah. go, co- bring together these communities in such in such a way that it feels like a shared history rather than just something you can like indulge in or just like watch with detachment yeah yeah that's fantastic before we let you go we uh like to give everyone 30 seconds to plug whatever they want um so it can be you where people can find you where people can find the stuff that you're up to um yeah hint, i'm hint. gonna set a 30 second timer very nice are you ready yes okay go uh first of all you can find uh whatever i'm up to and time as well at proxemix uh we can, you can find our website at proxemix.co.uk find us on facebook our upcoming project is fault lines that's coming out uh, very soon we hope you all enjoy it um and besides that you can't really find me any, anywhere else i'm more or less a ghost on social media I just encourage you all to read as much as possible, especially in terms of non-Western fantasy, and encourage yourselves to read more, watch more, and take more notice of the world outside of your of your, of your limits. <laughs> Advice plug. We haven't had one of them before. Yeah, love that. <laughs> um, honestly, thank you so much for chatting about um, well, all sorts in the end today. Who yeah, knew man, we'd go from... today. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite the spectrum. Uh, but as always, you're yeah, fascinating to talk to. Um, oh, thank you. And yeah, thank you very much for, well, A, talking to us and B, being my business partner. Yeah. No, and, yeah, thank you for having me on. Thank you for having me on as well. And yeah, it's an endless joy to working with you, Tandy. It's, yeah, I'm excited to, I'm excited to see where we go next. There are a hundred different things that we discussed there that I uh, we could spend a whole another hour analyzing and discussing. Um, the history and theater and the place of it all is, is thoroughly interesting. But um, I think for the sake of love for the project, I think uh, we should just chat a bit about Fault Lines um, just to end off. Um, Go on, if I must. I know, I know. <laughs> well, actually, um, one thing we didn't mention on the podcast is that you're in it. I am. And now I have to be all nice and fluffy and withhold all my criticisms. Oh, um, wow. Thanks. <laughs> no, I... Fault Lines, from a perspective of someone who was directed in it and having asked a bunch of questions, obviously, to the both of you about um, what it was like to make it, it's mm. honestly just the fact that it's out there and doing a project. I remember I remember the first um, meeting we had, like the first rehearsal quote-unquote thing that we did and like every other was like oh how's everyone feeling it's like i'm really really glad just to be doing something and i think honestly it was it was really strange um because it so it was quite a long process really i mean this uh, we i think we selected 
to do the play and had our first meeting with Magnum in maybe hell of a name by November the way. 2020 maybe even October and it's now coming out on what the 23rd of April 2021 yeah, and we've been man. working on it pretty much solidly in that time I mean so, to be fair from first recording session through to now it being released um, in a couple of weeks uh, or next week it's a really impressive turnaround time in terms of actual, if you ignore pre-production, like through from production to post-production, it's, you know, I haven't I'm exhausted. It, but <laughs> it's it's an impressive amount of work. And I think it's there's something to be said. And, you know, we've, we've made discussions across, you know, various episodes of this podcast, um, mm. currently released and not about getting out there and doing things and how, you know, especially right now, not so much right this second because things seem to be lifting, but we'll see um, how hard it has been to do things and having to yeah. solve that problem has been, you know, and you've you've solved it at least somewhat. You've made something in the pandemic, right? Which and is I am not... I am so obviously you've not actually not heard it yet. And in fact, no, I have as not. we're recording this, it's not completely done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a long couple of weeks uh, in a good way, um, but from you know obviously a lot of it is is now completed and i'm mm. genuinely really proud of what we've created especially when you consider like just full stop i'm proud of how it's sounding yeah and then when you factor in that most of us don't really have experience in doing work in this way um even those people involved in the project that have done more things of an audio medium before they've always been able to be in the same room as other people never mind mm. having to do everything like over zoom discord or whatever um so yeah when you factor in that as well i mean i yeah I, i'm so so proud of of what we've managed to do and and of everyone involved really and it's such a lovely group of people um and i really hope that soon we can all meet up and grab a drink in a beer garden somewhere <laughs> The fact that you kept technical difficulties to as minimum as you did, genuinely, quite impressive. Thanks. Having, yeah, cause imagine, right? You've offered, how big was the cast? We mentioned it eight. was a big cast. It's eight, like eight people. It's like eight problems you got to solve right there. Like eight people who's like, you need to record this and it needs to have as fewer issues as possible. Mm. And that's over a period of like a couple of months. <laughs> so... The fact that you have an end product that only, I think, how many times did, did you do any re-records, re reshoots? Um, no. Well, so each recording session, we would record the scene uh, mm. at least twice, if not three times, and then we'd do pick up. So as we were recording, I would have the script in front of me and I would literally star lines if I wasn't happy with them on each pass we did. And then if on like the second or third pass one of the lines I'd starred in the first instance if I was then happy with it I sort of tick that off and then at the end of all the passes if there were any lines that still had stars next to them or I would also open it up to the actors as well like oh is there anything you felt you wanted to have another stab at um we would then do pickups of just that line yeah. or lines um so that's Impre kind of saved us from having saver. to do any yeah, major time saver because you know any kind of project you'd expect to be like oh we've set it out for this amount of time but it's taken three times as long um <laughs> i know with theater you don't really get that chance right where no. you're like well we've got we're gonna, something's gonna be on stage um so well, being and able I think, to compress that is i think coming from that background in a way is what's uh, that's that, how i've given myself this routine. grueling timeline because mm. i um I, I realize it's the sort of thing i'm, I'm not used to having the luxury of crafting the final project yeah. to the same, you know, because when you have finished directing a piece of theatre, I can't control what the actors are going to do when they actually go out on stage when there's an no. audience there. Yeah, you don't have your hand, you're not the puppet master then, are you? Well, I don't like to think of my puppet master anyway, but thanks, Harry. That's what I... Sure. Um, right? No. <laughs> um, but anyway, <laughs> that's a whole other conversation. Um, it is. Shameless and so I knew that I seconds. could be looking over this, what well, not looking, listening to this footage over yeah. and over and over and just making tweak after tweak. And so I just 
in the end gave myself a deadline and mm. said this is when it's coming out if i have to pull all nighters for the two weeks yeah. running up to it i will hopefully i won't have to and i, I don't think i will have to it's but, good um, practice man deadlines are important they are otherwise i will just eternally faff right come out coming to your ears in 2052 or whatever <laughs> fault lines fault lines this thing that happened ages ago yeah so do you want to yes i can plug away shameless give plug. the very shameless give the deets plug of I'll the details let you roll out yes so obviously i don't know when you're listening to this uh so if it's in the future and it's already been and gone sorry um <laughs> but if it's not uh fault lines is available between the 23rd of april 2021 and the end of may 2021 um Tickets are available on proxemics.co.uk, our website. If you go to any of our Proxemic social medias, there's also links through on there. Um, early bird tickets are available until and inclusive of the 22nd of April. So if you want to save save a buck, go, go grab them then. Um, and yeah, honestly, just if you fancy supporting us, whether it's because you enjoy this podcast and and you want to support us as people in in our own endeavors um or if you just like the sound of of the project or both hopefully both um genuinely it would mean the world if you would go and get a ticket you can listen to it as many times as you like in between that time frame um it i genuinely really like the story otherwise we wouldn't have done it in the first place I think it's a great story. It's a nice bit of escapism. Uh, and it's something you can enjoy without staring at a screen after staring at a screen all day whilst working from home. So, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Did I do that okay, Harry? I think so. I think you Thanks. did all right. Thank you for listening to The Importance of Staying Earnest. If you want to keep up with us outside the podcast, you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at T-I-O-S-E underscore podcast or on Facebook at The Importance of Staying Earnest podcast. If you would like to reach out to us, you can find us at T-I-O-S-E dot podcast at gmail.com. Please drop us a review if you enjoyed and we'll see you next time.